0: From Washington, this is Talking Tax, I'm David Schultz. If you're a company that operates in multiple countries, which country do you pay taxes in? That's a tough question. But what's easier to figure out, or at least it was easier up until December of last year, is that if you pay taxes in another country, you can get a credit for that amount on your U.S. taxes. It's called the Foreign Tax Credit, and it's been a mainstay of the tax code for quite a while. But last December, the Treasury Department stepped in and made some tweaks to the Foreign Tax Credit rules, and now things are a little bit murkier. Some companies are worried they're going to be taxed twice on the same income, and CFOs are urging Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to go back in and tweak the tweak, so to speak, to the Foreign Tax Credit. Will she? And why are these CFOs so worried? To learn more about this, we're going to be hearing today from Rafiq Baraj, a partner in the North American Tax Practice Group at Baker & McKenzie. He spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Michael Rappaport about how the changes are affecting his clients and about why we have the foreign tax credit in the first place.
1: It's a recognition that the U.S. taxes its taxpayers generally on a worldwide basis on their worldwide income. And therefore, in order to relieve double taxation, it gives a credit uh, against U.S. taxes for, uh, the foreign taxes subject to limitations, obviously. But, um, it's, it's again just a recognition of a worldwide tax system that the U.S. has. What
2: Treasury wanted to do was update the regulations here. So they tightened the definition of what constitutes a foreign income tax. This effectively excluded digital service taxes imposed by other countries, but it also swept us by the foreign taxes, right?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That what, what they intended to do, at least based on the, you know, preamble to the regulations was, um, they intended to no longer allow credits for what they viewed as novel extraterritorial taxes. Those sort of unilateral, uh, extraterritorial taxes is what they intended to reach DSTs. Um, but but then, as you noted, you know what they ended up covering were a number of other taxes that have been creditable for decades, if not over a hundred years in many cases. We're talking about things like foreign income taxes on
2: dividends and royalties, right?
1: Yeah, particularly um, royalties and services fees. Those were a, a couple of the, um, the the collateral damage, if you will, uh, from from the the regs um, and and the the premise that sort of uh, permeates the regs is that they were the, the IRS and treasury took the view that unless the US would tax the income in the opposite situation then the US ought not to give a credit to uh US taxpayers that are operating overseas and and the the the, the assumption the faulty assumption was that the US rules are reflective of international taxing norms um, where, where in fact that is simply not the case. There, are, there are significant differences between sourcing rules among countries. Some countries don't even have sourcing rules on royalties or services, uh, and, and the rules in the U.S. So what ended up happening is a lot of taxes that have been creditable for, for many, many decades, like withholding taxes on royalties that no one would think of are controversial, suddenly became, you know, non-creditable taxes another aspect of this is to be eligible for the credit the foreign country's
2: tax system has to be reasonably similar to the US system and and that's a problem for US citizens who pay taxes in Brazil which has a tax system that is deemed not similar enough to the US brazil is the
1: country everybody talks about but are, are there other, other countries like this yeah this brings up a really good point michael which is that you have to become an expert in the foreign laws of number of countries whereas before you know maybe you didn't have to be such an expert but uh, now you really have to kind of take a deep dive into a lot of um, foreign tax laws, not just what the law says, but what the, the legislature intended when they enacted that law. Other countries that have been talked about from time to time that, that have the same potential issue. So the German trade tax has been one that that taxpayers have, have uh, raised some issues about. The Italian IRAP is another one. These laws, you know, have different types of limitations on deductions uh, that could potentially cause them to fail the cost recovery requirement. Uh, so that's that's been their concern with those.
2: What will the impact be for companies here? Will there be a lot of companies that can no longer get these credits? Uh, will th- what types of companies will, will be hit the hardest?
1: Yeah, it's going to have pretty potentially dire consequences to US taxpayers. I mean, there was a letter that you probably saw that was um, sent by CFOs of major multinational companies recently, uh, and they point out, among other things, that this has puts U.S. companies at a significant competitive disadvantage relative to other you know, multinationals, like Chinese multinationals, for example, um, and, and may require U.S. companies to migrate IP and or services to the countries where that IP is used or those services are performed rather than what you would think, which is the US would want to encourage IP and, and uh payroll and you know employees to remain in the US. This this has potentially the opposite effect. So there's that sort of long-term competitive disadvantage effect. Then there's obviously the more short term effect on financial statements potentially. Uh you know, companies have just gone through Q one and had to make some preliminary assessments um but at some point you know we're going to have to get through the year and they'll have to take you know more sort of permanent positions about these these regulations so yeah it, it could have quite quite bad uh, effects how do uh, tax treaties play into all this it
2: sounds like that there could be some uh, inequitable results here
1: yeah that that is a curious rule i mean so they have this treaty coordination rules the one i think you're referring to that basically says we will defer to US tax treaties. Um, and so if you have a double tax treaty with the US uh, that specifically covers the tax in question as a covered tax, uh, then you can claim re- you know, relief from double tax under the, the treaty and credit the tax as long as it's a covered tax under the treaty. Whereas the same exact potential tax imposed by another country that we don't have a treaty with is non-creditable. So it, it does sort of Put you in an odd situation where, uh, it makes a difference whether you have, a, you know, a treaty or not. And, and that, you know, that, that sort of comes out like in the Brazil example, you know, and, and, and frankly, we don't have treaties with a lot of countries in South America, you know, or Latin America and, and a lot of Asia, Singapore, we don't have a treaty. So it does, you know, again, put, put some stark differences for countries where we have treaties versus countries where we don't. Is there any way to solve this problem short of the U.S. signing more tax treaties with other other countries, which, of course, is a uh, lengthy and difficult process? Yeah, it's a very difficult process, right? If you consider that, you know, we we have a number of treaties that have been sitting in the Senate for 10 plus years now that haven't, uh, you know, Chile, we just moved a little bit more uh, closer to to, uh, ratification. Um, but you know that that I think that was signed in like 2010, right? So uh, you know uh, uh, we don't want to hold out hope for for a treaty resolution here. Ultimately, it would be great to have treaties with a lot of these countries for other reasons beyond this. But uh, I wouldn't you know be be holding out hope that that's the fix that we're looking for here because it could be a while. Treasury said it, it has heard these concerns and it's going to come out with
2: uh, rules later this year to fix the problems. Uh, do you think it actually will? And and if so, do you think
1: the fixes will work? I certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, whether they will, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But, um, the technical correct, so I understand that, you know, the first step is, you know, potentially, uh, technical corrections to the regs and they could do quite a few things that could amel- ameliorate the situation just through technical corrections. But absent that treasury and the IRS have talked about a potential sort of safe harbor or other administrative guidance. Um, and they, they've mentioned that that may be in the guise of, Uh, you know, a a rule that basically says if you license IP to a licensee and they, the the license agreement provides that the licensee may only use the IP in the country of the licensee and actually uses the IP in the country of the licensee, then a credit uh, could be available, notwithstanding that the foreign law is not reasonably similar to the US. Um, That could be helpful in some situations. Uh, It really kind of depends. On how narrowly or broadly they define use in that in that case, right? Uh, uh, I mean, I think that that would go a long way. Some some sort of relief like that could potentially go a long way for taxpayers.
2: Treasury has also said that a delay in the effect of this uh, effective date of these new results
1: is not going to happen. Uh, do you think it should be more flexible here and issue a delay? I think it would because there were quite a few significant changes that were made from the proposed regs to the final regs. Um, that that um, you know took some taxpayers by by surprise and advisors like us. Uh, so I, I do think it would allow taxpayers some time to just number one understand, do all the analysis that they have to do. Right, like like I mentioned, you have to really know what foreign law says, and um, that that's taken. I mean, it's taken us months just to get to having a basic understanding. But there's a lot more work to be done. So there's that there's that piece of it. Uh, and and it's not unprecedented that Treasury and the IRS have delayed the effective date of regulations to give taxpayers more time to get up to speed. I don't see why you know you couldn't delay the regs here for a year just to give taxpayers some breathing room while they kind of get their arms around what what the foreign law says and what these regs are intended to do. Uh, another thing that people have asked for from Treasury is a
2: so-called whitelist or per se list of foreign taxes that can be credited. Uh, the agency has
1: said that they don't want to do this, but uh, do you think they should? Yeah I mean we we've proposed that um uh so we think it's a good idea. <laughs> um I I I mean I understand the point about you know having to constantly update that list because you know laws change all the time and um you know so so it's really it's it's really a question of who who has the burden right uh, with the way that the, the the regs are today taxpayers have to kind of figure out what the law says in the foreign countries and then, you know, make their own determination. Ultimately, the IRS is going to have to figure this out too, because they're going to be the ones auditing the tax returns, right? So sooner or later, they're going to have to do the analysis. Um, so why not do it now and just, you know, give, give taxpayers, uh, some, some more certainty upfront by, by having that kind of guidance? I do think it would be, uh, helpful to taxpayers and a practical solution in the longer term, um, for, for, for some certainty.
2: Uh, th- this is all happening, I in mean, a total reshaping of the global tax world, uh, through the OECD agreement. Uh, Treasury has said that they'll, that they're going to change the regulations, uh, to uh, conform with the OECD re- agreement once everything, uh, is set there. And in, in terms of the processes, and in terms of how the OECD agreement is going to be implemented, uh, do you expect them to do that? Do you, and, and, and do you think that that's going to be enough to, uh, make the um, global tax agreement align with the foreign tax credit rules?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, like you said, the the preamble to the regs specifically said that they would have to revisit the regs, uh, if we get agreement and the U.S. is part of that agreement on pillar one. They were completely silent on pillar two. So let's take each of those, you know, separately. So pillar one, they basically acknowledge that amount A under pillar one, as the regs stand today, would not be creditable. Um, so that, you know, that, that would have to be addressed uh, in, in final regs. Obviously, the nightmare scenario is we don't get agreement on pillar one. Countries continue to impose DSTs and then we're left with taxes that are, you know, non-creditable potentially, right? Uh, and so that, that's, that's sort of a bad scenario. Um, on pillar two, although the preamble didn't, you know, uh, didn't address pillar two, um, the you know, treasury has sort of indicated informally, I think that, they that the regs would also have to be updated if if pillar two is adopted, you know, by the U.S. So you know you've got like top up taxes by foreign countries that would 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 you know that you need to get a credit for, uh, and so the, the regs will have to deal with that. Um, there is some question as to whether you could even you know potentially get a credit for those top up taxes today under the regs as written, um, but it would be good in in any case to get some clarification on that assuming the U.S. does it better,
0: too. That was Rafiq Baraj, a partner at Baker & McKenzie, speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Michael Rappaport. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's talk Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio and Jeff Harrington are our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. When it comes to the environment, There are, let's say, a lot of moving parts.
2: Climate change, air pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species. It's a lot. That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join us on the Parts Per Billion podcast every other Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download
1: and subscribe to Bloomberg Law's Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.